You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to the Coaching Inn. Today it's my pleasure to be in conversation with my friend Jane Tillier, uh, who runs an organization, a company called Soul Body Psychotherapy and Consulting. That's right, Claire. Um, and uh, Jane's also a part-time tutor and lecturer at Metanoia and uh, does some of their training on TA, transactional analysis. And we've been meaning to have a conversation, haven't we, Jane, about empathy forever. Forever, <laughs> ever and ever. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so just give us a bit of an introduction to you as a human and then let's see where we go. Jane, as a human, uh, is is in her 60s and has surprised herself. So I've surprised myself by taking, what did I do? I called my own bluff, really, in my late 50s, um, because age 30, I, I started training for ordination in the Church of England, uh, having had a career in academia languages. Mm. Uh, 30 years in the Church of England, more or less, and then uh, called my own bluff because before ordination, I had thought of training as a psychotherapist. And there was something about that never having left me because of my curiosity about individuals and relationships and human beings in general. Mm. So uh, I thought, well, I'll just do a foundation year. And one thing led to another, as they say. And here you are. And here I am enjoying in-depth one-to-one weekly psychotherapeutic work with individuals and also enjoying being invited to consult with groups or, uh, yeah, I've got some fun gigs, as they say. Amazing. And then just recently being, yeah, starting work as a tutor at the institute where I trained. Mm. Um, drawing on yeah, my own experience of the learning journey to sit with students who are now doing that themselves. So. Wow. So some real giving back and some real circles. Circles in within circles. Spirals are one of my things. I mean, I'm sure that's true for many people, but there's something about this learning and relearning, which, yeah, it's I love it. I love the mm. aliveness of it. Mm. So empathy. Empathy, yeah, really interesting. I've I've kind of thought about empathy over the years. I think earlier on, I would have thought empathy was much the same as kindness or compassion. I'd kind of got, I realised it wasn't the same as sympathy. Mm. Kind of, yeah. So probably as a priest in the Church of England, as a pastor, I was... I've been kind of known for being compassionate, warm. My nickname at Theological College was Mother Jane of the Divine Compassion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But really, in the last few years, I've been thinking about what's distinctive about empathy and why is it that empathy is so powerful? And there's a fabulous article about the history of the word and the concept. Oh, really? which I'll send a link to and you could add it to the, the show notes maybe. Um, but it, it's it's quite a recent word in the English language and it's a translation of a German word. Uh, 
and it's it's the sort of feeling into something mm. into einfühling i think it is in german and it's it's a kind of so it's the where sympathy or compassion have a with root in them empathy has an in root so it kind of requires a bit of imagination to go perhaps into the world of the other and mm. let the other come into your world it's um it's more transactional somehow and that's a two-way connecting thing it, it is for me it is for me and it it's not it's not always comfortable it's not always easy it demands I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with Carl Rogers and the kind of conditions that he the, the, the kind of um frames he put around unconditional positive regard mm. and congruence mm. and there's a way in which empathy has both of those if the congruence is missing it's it's, it's not empathy somehow there's something yeah it's, it's a qualitative difference between saying not not saying i know how you feel which is usually a lie anyway mm or at least an, an untruth. But there's something about saying, I'm prepared to let my imagination go into what you might be feeling. Mm. And I'm prepared to notice its impact on me as well. Whilst holding you in unconditional positive regard. Yeah. Mm. It's a fabulous article I read a while ago with the great title, and I wish I'd written an article with this title, The Truth of Love and the Love of Truth. Oh, wow. So there's mm. something about the truth of love, the unconditional positive regard, the warm, open connectedness that allows for truth to emerge, mm. coupled with the love of truth, speaking the truth, holding to the truth, mm. holding congruence, and, and in transactional analysis terms, which is the language that I've been learning over the last five or six years, um, it's it's allowing an adult to adult connection which has truth and presence in it. Mm. it we talk in in transactional analysis about empathic transactions and again there's something about that being both stimulus and response yeah. co-created mm. uh, yeah i'm not letting you get a word in edgeways sorry that's okay because, of course, sympathy sympathy is a very one-way street, isn't it? It can be. It can mm. be. And it, there's a nuance to these things. There may be a moment when sympathy is absolutely, but if it's the only colour on your palette, mm. it's, not, it's not as useful as having other colours on the palette. Yeah. Um, yeah, sympathy can be almost more about making the one offering the sympathy feel better than than about what might land at least that's my experience I've worked I've worked as a parish priest I've also worked as a hospice chaplain and sat around the edges of death and dying in ways that have helped me with my thinking around some of this stuff as well mm. as you're talking about it it makes me think about an invitation yeah yeah that's fascinating because I'm doing some work at the moment on uh, preparing to become what's called a provisional training and supervising transactional analyst, otherwise known as a PTSTA in the trade. 
Um, and I have to think about my philosophy of training, my philosophy of teaching and my philosophy of supervision, as well as my philosophy of therapy and sort of you know, unpack all these things. And in discussion with my supervisor recently around my philosophy of teaching, we decided that my style is invitational. Oh. So it's clocking up. But there is something about invitational allows for the autonomy of the other. Uh, rather than I think over my years as parish priest I think I was caught a little bit into some of the kind of um, helper energy which can I put I'm putting my fingers up and putting quotation marks around helper because there's something Mm. about yeah well-intentioned though it may be it doesn't always have the impact that you hope it will have Mm. Mm. and uh, and there we're on to another one of my favorite themes and again others will talk about this in different ways but just if we can honor intention impact and interpretation something happens yeah. whereas if all we're interested in and concerned about and uh, put our energies into is our intentions mm. we've missed a trick really mm. um yeah so so there's something about empathic energy allows for the fact that there's an intention, there's an impact, there's interpretation. Mm-hmm. And there's imagination in there too. It's like if somebody is talking with me about some really difficult experiences from their past, their life, I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know what they've gone through, but I'm prepared to to kind of let my imaginal world respond mm. um, and feel. Mm. Such an offer and respecting the capacity of the other. Indeed. To do with it whatever they wish. Yes. Yes. And, and, for me, that has a huge resonance with my spiritual kind of training journey <laughs> practices over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, there's something about that capacity to be contemplative, mm. to offer and to let go. Um, yeah, it's difficult to put into words, but I... I really enjoy working with a colleague, Jeff Hopping. We um, we do quite a bit of offering training and we've got a couple of, uh, a two-day workshop coming up next March where we're working on the interface between psychotherapy and spirituality. Oh, wow. And he um, he's worked in many contexts as a psychotherapist over 30, 40 years. And so we have this kind of, and he's, become more interested in spirituality over the years as well and done that as his sideline I've done spirituality and religion for 30 40 years and had psychotherapy as my sideline and we've met and found we can have some quite creative conversations mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so I was in conversation with him in preparation for this and thinking about empathy and he's worked in he's worked in very demanding settings of a, of a high security prison with prisoners whose experiences of life are very uh, distressing and distressed. Mm. 
And he said there's a limit to empathy because actually if you if you empathize with someone whose primary presenting energy is anger and terrible distress, that can have a shaming impact on them. If you're all, yes, I, I'm imagining my way into how difficult that is for you. Whereas actually, if you can be congruent, you know, the the, lo the love of truth, if you can truthfully say your anger, your, your violent energy towards me is having an impact on me, mm. that keeps you in connection more. So that there are times perhaps when, yeah, it's, it's that seesaw almost of unconditional positive regard and congruence that gets caught in empathy, which was another one of Carl Rogers' words. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that person-centered wisdom, you know, there's a lot of richness in it. And it's not where I've ended up finding the work. I've found the work with Eric Burns' transactional analysis model. Because for me, it's a lovely integrative blend of the psychoanalytic, the humanistic, so so more the psychodynamic Freud, Jung type stuff, um, and the humanistic Carl Rogers, mm. uh, Fritz Perls, that kind of gestalt person-centered, and a bit of cognitive behavioral stuff as well. So I think what transaction analysis tries to do is be attentive to all those levels and layers and honoring the unconscious processes, but also thinking some things are about some some thought and behavior patterns that might need a bit of loosening up as well. So um, I found it a really challenging and stretching modality to, to get into. And there are many coaches who find some insight there to be very useful. Yeah, yeah. There's, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, and I've met one or two and some people straddle both worlds of coaching mm -hmm. and psychotherapy. Um, either explicitly or implicitly yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of there mm -hmm. um yeah and it I think if nothing else there's there's a 12-hour foundational course in TA called a TA 101 which is recognized throughout the world uh you, you get a certificate at the end to say you've done the TA 101 12 hours and and that I think is a I think every it's useful for every human being quite honestly I mean I I think it's a kind of an introduction to how to how to think about the parts of self and the parts of other and how they interact um, mm. in a way that's that's very empowering and yeah our daughter loved because um I bought her a TA well we bought her a TA 101 as a Christmas present <laughs> so she went when she was 19 and to a weekend TA 101 and she loved it actually and yeah. really because she was studying neuroscience and thinking about what makes people tick mm. and it, it yeah it dovetailed with that so it sounds like we should all do the TA 101 I'm really captivated by it as an idea yeah I I think it's a really useful and well thought through course that's been used over many years I think yeah TA is not perfect. No modality is perfect. And, you know, I remember one of my tutors in the first year saying, none of this is true, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it gives us models for thinking and the models for thinking can can help us when we get a bit confused and lost. And these models for thinking are important, I think. So, yeah, and a 101 can give you that. Things like people, I mean, some of your listeners will know, I'm sure, things like the drama triangle. Yeah. 
that comes out of that TA world. So mm. Steve Cartman, who came up with the drama triangle ideas, he was a colleague of Eric Burns. They were in something called the Social Psychiatry Seminar in San Francisco. They would meet every week and kind of wrestle with what makes human beings tick and relate to one another and fail in their relationships with one another. And they'd have their flip chart and they'd diagram. One of the great things about TA is let's diagram stuff to try to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm, I'm surprising myself with the enthusiasm with which I speak of this, because when I first encountered it, I was a bit boggled. <laughs> thought, What's all this? But actually, there's something about getting a pen out and getting the flip chart with the person you're working with, not, yeah. And in coaching, that is such a good way of working. Um, yeah. I always recommend that they hold the pen, not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because exactly. then it's their stuff. Other, yeah, but yeah. yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There was a, a podcast, I'll put it in the show notes, with Mike White about using models. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll put a link so that we can, anyone who wants to listen to that can go back to it. Because how you use that in a coaching session so that you don't accidentally become the parent or teacher yeah. is a really interesting piece yeah. of balance, I guess. Yeah. And, and Eric Burns' model of personality and and self really that includes those three equal circles of parent adult child that's such a useful thing to keep an eye on mm -hmm. as as a teacher as a coach as a trainer any of those things because it's really noticing have I am I coming from my parent ego state at the moment am I coming from my child ego state at the moment is that useful and appropriate in the here and now or is there something that's got a bit skewed out of whack here yeah um or, and can we come back into an adult adult um, encounter which is not to pathologize or demonize our parent and child ego states which are an inherent part of us um parent being what we were taught what's put into us from outside parents and teachers the child ego state being the, the clever ways we found to survive and then adult being our availability for here and now connectedness hmm. yeah that's it's, a beautiful way of describing it jane thank you well, I find it really interesting because people sometimes, if I say I've been studying transactional analysis, they say, oh, yes, I've done transactional analysis. Um, and they might have done a 101 or a course and an absolutely great. And I think there's something about digesting it over a long period of time where it now feels that something I can talk about with some passion and some interest that is different there's a famous story of eric burns sitting on an airplane next to somebody who was an astrophysicist and they were got talking on the plane and and uh eric burns said to the other guy you know what what do you do he said oh, i'm an astrophysicist and uh, and the other guy asked and eric burns said oh i'm eric burn i'm the founder of transaction analysis and the other guy said oh yeah i know transaction analysis parent adult child i'm okay you're okay and Eric Burns said, yeah, that's a bit like me saying, I know astrophysics, twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> so, Lovely. It's kind of like that. there is something really fundamental about how do you understand what makes a person tick? 
intrapsychically inside themselves, mm. historic and present and future states inside themselves and interpersonally between people. So, yeah. and, and I've been endlessly curious about that over many years and my study of languages, my study of theology, it's all been about meaning, interpretation, understanding. Mm. Yeah. So, and here I am still doing it, but with new energy. Yeah, and I think there's an inspiration in your story, Jane, that actually it's never too late to change direction and re-embrace something that's been your passion in the yeah. background. Yeah, and and then what happens as well, strangely, and yet not so strangely, if I take seriously what I've learned over many years, I thought I was letting go of something big, which I did in some ways. I took retirement from my Church of England stipendiary role, um, but actually that I kind of have come back round to that as well. You know, I thought I was letting go and leaving something, but actually I get some really interesting invitations to accompany people. And I, I can't go into details because of confidentiality, but that kind of dual, well, triple the languages, the theology and priesthood and, and the psychotherapy, they all get used in some mm. way. That's yeah. It's great. But you had to make your endings for your beginnings to emerge. I did indeed, Claire Pedrick. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I say it like that in part because you and I journeyed through some of that, that yeah. some of the witnessing of um, stepping forward, not quite knowing where I was going and not quite knowing what either the bumps or the, or the joys were going to be. Mm. I've been thinking a lot about courage and endings recently. Having just made quite a couple of big endings, um, it makes it makes you think about endings. And I actually, one of the things I thought was how often we don't make endings and things just sort of end, fizzle out or end or whatever. And how making making good endings matters a lot. Mm, mm. Mm. I I I resonate with that and and I can see real wisdom in what you're saying and there's a kind of there's a kind of passivity that can kick in that allows an ending to happen rather than I mean to to kind of fizzle as yeah. opposed to marking it. it it it's fascinating in terms of the training of psychotherapists that I've been involved in as recipient and now offering there's a lot of emphasis put on the ending of a training weekend. We give mm. time, we give it an hour at the end of the weekend for checkout, a kind of sense of this weekend is come, this unit is coming to an end and we honor that. The mm. end of the training year, the end of the training program is given a lot of attention. Um, and sometimes people say, oh, why are we banging on about this? But there's some, there's some learning to be had as yeah. how we do it and do it well. And, yeah. and I've just been wondering whether that ties in somehow with empathy. There's something about allowing the feelings to be themselves, which is involved in empathy, I think. Whereas sympathy tries to kind of quiet them down. Mm. There's something about empathy being able to sit with what is. And that might be the reality of an ending or it might be the magnitude of somebody's distress or anger or but it, it's there's something about doing that with courage 
Yes, and without accidentally slipping into something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've probably said this endlessly on this podcast, but I absolutely love that quote from T.S. Eliot's um, uh, poem, Good Friday, where he says, teach me to care and not to care. Yes. Teach me to sit still. Mm. And that's what you were describing earlier, isn't it? Between between the um, unconditional positive regard and the other one. Congruence. Congruence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the... And the sitting still is so important. There's, there's, um, yeah, that's taken me to a book by a man called Martin Wells called Sitting in the Stillness, uh, where he talks about the essential okayness of every human being. And he's worked in psychiatric hospital in settings which are quite um, extreme, again, in some ways. But he, he writes very movingly of the recognition of the fundamental okayness of the other. And again, and that, that's a that's a tenet of, of Eric Burns that yeah. you know, I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah. And that sounds so glib, mm. and yet it's profound when you sit with it. Mm. His outworking of that as a psychiatrist back in the 60s or you know, then late 50s, 60s, when he was working as a psychiatrist, was his case conferences or his working with patient groups he'd have a patient group in the middle sitting sat in a circle trainee psychiatrists sat around the edge and the trainee psychiatrists would observe the patients working with burn and then the patients would sit around the edge and the trainee psychiatrists would sit in the middle and the the patients would observe the trainee psychiatrists working with burn so there was a kind of sense of there isn't he was trying to I think, explore dynamics around power, oppression. I mean, of his time, you can read some of his stuff and think, goodness me, shockingly yeah. non-PC in a way. But but he was playing with what does it what does it feel like to meet another human being as a fellow human being? Um yeah. And and in coaching, the idea of partnership is is a long journey i was dis- discussing it partnership with somebody today and and they said to me well what does it look like mm. and i mean how how long have you got <laughs> yes yeah 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 because we know what it doesn't look like yeah yeah because we can feel it we can see it we can sense it mm. um but actually what does it look like is a journey i think all of us need to go on isn't it a really honestly uh yeah look in the mirror what does partnership look like when i'm at at my best in partnership yeah. and what am i doing when i tip over into something else altogether yeah and and where that would be explored in ta is in an exploration of symbiosis and the kind of symbiotic energies that can get set up between parent and child or parent adult and child even and Mm. what gets excluded in the other if one takes on certain roles and there's there's a real yeah wisdom about keeping that under review Mm. Um, and contracting again in coaching but also in in TA there's a lot of emphasis on kind of respect for the contracting is respect for the partnership in a sense yeah 
yeah um, yeah. yeah negotiating where we're going and where we're not going and yeah yeah and recognizing I think within psychotherapy it's recognizing that there was there was a great debate in the um British Medical Journal I think about whether informed consent is possible in psychotherapy because in a way you set out on a journey together and it's a journey of trusting not knowing where you're going mm. and and exploring together so so informed consent is quite difficult but but Bern introduced the idea of kind of recontracting that it's a moment by moment almost checking in and, and keeping an eye on mm. yeah I I'm sat in my uh, what I call my soul shed and the rain is pouring on the roof I don't know if you can hear it but no. I'm sat with compost bins behind me and if you'll excuse the profanity I think the work I do is about let's see who shit is whose and let's see if we can allow time and space for shit to turn into compost so uh yeah and and the fact that I've done a lot of work over the years kind of attending to my own shit as it were mm. through years of therapy and and my own kind of wrestlings means I kind of am alert or I try my best with supervision and study and continuing reflection uh to be alert to whose shit is whose because it might be mine it might be yours it might be society's it might be historical it might be an institution that we're all involved in you know there's kind mm. of it's like there's layers of it mm. and it can I guess the Christian part of me from you know years of being formed in the Christian tradition I, I believe redemption is always possible I think shit can be turned to compost in ways beyond our imagining um, but I'm not here to preach <laughs> that'd make a great title for a book <laughs> shit to compost yeah, I think it was Carl Jung who first said it. I don't claim any special. I think that was Carl Jung's image originally. Yeah. Because he was, you know, he's he spoke a lot about the shadow of a self actually being where the gold is somehow. Mm. But, yeah. Mm. So if people are a bit captivated by this TA-101, how do yeah. they find out about the one at Metanoia? Well, there are 101s held by various training institutes, but the best way, if you, if it was Metanoia they were wanting, I mean, there are, there are you know, other other brands are available kind of thing. There's the Link Centre or the Burn in Nottingham. The Link Centre's down on the South Coast. Metanoia's in London, in Ealing. Um, and some, some institutes run TA101s online, um, so there's an international capacity to join in a 101. The Metanoia one is is currently running in room, I think, over a weekend. Um, so there's an administrator, Manos, uh, at Metanoia, who uh, the website for the Metanoia Institute, you can go onto the Metanoia Institute website, find the transactional analysis link, and there'll be an inquiry button there for okay. finding out about the 101. It's, it's, tw it's a 12-hour curriculum delivered in various different ways by different trainers and different mm. institutes. I am training to, to deliver it, but not quite there yet. Okay, sounds brilliant. Um, and other institutions are available. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I did my 101 at Metanoia, but I'm actually accompanying 
uh, Jeff, who I spoke of earlier, I'm accompanying him while he offers a 101 starting online uh, on Wednesday evening through the Link Centre. So, okay, um, yeah, it, it's uh, we're all out there being interested in this stuff. And there's a there's a UK Transactional Analysis Association, the UK Association mm. for Transactional Analysis, uh, which UCARTA, which is, again, a good source of information around all this. Mm. And actually, it's possible to do TA 101 through coaching organisations. But actually, one of the things that I learned when I did my coaching supervision training, which was also for the supervision of therapists, is that going to a different tribe brings a different quality of learning. So although you might have to make some of the connections yourself. Yeah, it 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 also means that you can't make assumptions about stuff and it gets you kind of exercising yeah so it gives you a different conversation partner in a way and when you've got a different conversation partner different conversations are possible aren't they absolutely absolutely the other thing about ta which is interesting is it's applied in four different fields so transactional analysis internationally is is applied in psychotherapy yes also in uh, counseling also in educational work and also in organizational work so you Mm. have certified transactional analysts CTAs, which is what I am. You have CTAs who are in any one of, of those four fields or very occasionally in all four of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's out there available for people. Well, what a pleasure to talk to you, Jane. How do people get in touch with you if they want to talk more about your work with Soul Body? Um, there's a there's a Soul Body website, uh, soulbody.co.uk um and there's a there's a contact form on there if people want to talk with me brilliant well thank you for coming to the coaching in you are very welcome claire i've enjoyed myself a lot i've surprised myself at how evangelical i've sounded (laughs) but i feel like there's an ongoing conversation around empathy i don't think i've bottomed that one yet we'll have you back (laughs) thank Thank you you for coming and thank you for listening everyone bye-bye bye If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.